So if we're going to talk about movies where nobody dies, obviously there's going to be spoilers. Let's just sound the big alarm right now. Stuff. I really enjoy the visual tone of this movie and how they treat the haunted house ghost story. It's just infinitely fascinating. Because you grow to be so fond of both of them and you, you truly believe this bond that they have with each other, the last act is absolutely terrifying. Oh, we have a great topic this week. We do. We have a topic so good, we are going to take credit for it, even though we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is one when we announced this topic on Fright Club Live. Oh, you could tell the crowd was like, oh, Oh, yeah, they were excited. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so speaking of Fright Club, welcome to it. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and this week we have a special guest. And it was his idea. It was. And so it's going to be fun. We talked to the man himself who thought this up. And it's one of those where you think, well, why didn't I think of that? Right. Yeah, it's horror movies where nobody dies. Right. And that it seems a little... Counterintuitive. It does. It's a horror movie. People should die. Well, not always. No. And there's some success stories here. We've got some good ones. He's got his list, and we've got our list, and we're going to talk about those. So uh, we'll get to our special guest here uh, very soon. But uh, last time, we had a good time. Well, kind of a good time. <laughs> An awkward time, kind of a guys <laughs> clenching their legs together time uh, at Gateway Film Center as uh, Fright Club Live as we talked about bad movies to see on a date and showed one of them called Teeth. And it went over well, I think. I think um, it did, too. I think people really liked it or were intrigued. I mean, it's just, it's a fun movie. That's a weird thing to say. Yeah. But that's kind of the tone of the movie. It's very well made, very bright. Uh, and But uh, it's funny because we always have people come down and talk to us afterwards and... There were a lot of people who stood around because they wanted to hear how, but very few people wanted to talk to us yeah. afterwards. It's like they were still mulling, and Richard, who, I, you know what, I cannot remember the last time Richard missed a Fright Club Live. He's just one of our, our dyed-in-the-wool true buddies, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's always somebody who talks to us after, and even he didn't have quite a lot to say, but he also always posts a very long, thoughtful review of the event on Facebook, and and this time, that's where he had some great points to make, and my favorite was about the way they use uh, Dawn, the main character's clothing, mm-hmm. throughout the movie to make certain points, and he caught that, and he said some great things to say about it, so I want to thank Richard again for yeah. always being there. Oh, yeah, that's we always love to get the feedback at the end, because we, we usually poll the audience about how many people have seen the movie you know, beforehand, and some mm-hmm. have not, and some are coming back for to see it on the big screen. Maybe some people have not seen it on the big screen. You know, but it's always good to get the uh, the thoughts of people that, have, that were seeing it either for the first time or first time on the big screen. And I love to get those different adaptations because many times something that maybe we didn't think of right. or that can be articulated in a different way. So always appreciate that. So, yes, thank you, Richard. And we made the big, exciting announcement last yes. time mm-hmm. that we've got another premiere Another Fright Club premiere, first chance to see the new horror movie from Scott Cooper called Antlers. So excited. We're going to thank Cicely and the Owens Group again for like yes. hooking us up with that. Yeah, that is going to be on April the 8th. And uh, we're going to show Antlers before uh, anybody else, pretty much. It's going to be an early screening. Yep. And we're going to talk about woodland creatures. Yes. Scary stuff in the woods. Mm-hmm. I know for you, that's everything <laughs> in the woods. Even little chipmunks <laughs> come out with their fangs ready to rip your veins out. 
But uh, no, some scary creatures in the woods and antlers. Well, we don't know. We would we we think there's a some scary creature in there, uh, and hopefully it looks good. I mean, Scott Cooper has made some quality stuff. Yes, he has. He made Crazy Heart with uh, Jeff Bridges, got him an Oscar. Also did Out of the, Out furnace. Of the furnace and Hostile. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a good filmmaker, and he's going horror here, and, and we're like happy about the, it. Out of the Furnace in particular, you can see the filmmaker who made that movie could branch into horror. You can mm-hmm. see it with yeah. that film. So yeah. I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, again, that is April 8th, Gateway Film Center, Columbus, can I just say Ohio. One nerdy we thing? would love to have it. Yes. One nerdy thing about Out of the Furnace, if you've seen it or if you haven't, it, it opens at a drive-in, and uh, Woody Harrelson establishes himself as a nuthead, but the movie they're showing on the screen is Midnight Meat Train with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> right. And I remember right away going, damn, that's a weird choice, and I was so happy about it. <laughs> that's right. Good stuff. All right, so a lot of good stuff uh, ahead, in the weeks ahead, a lot of good stuff today as well, so why don't we bring him in, the guy that thought up this Topic and uh, all props to him. Our Australian correspondent, our man from the future, Corey Metcalf. Welcome back. G'day. <laughs> Finally, because we've been trying now for two and a half times, I think, to try to get you on here. And and I'll I'll wear the hat. I mean, both times have been my fault. There's been technical, human technical error. Let's put it that way. And it was on me. So uh, finally, we got this right. So. Glad to have you. Welcome back. And we're talking about a great topic. We actually announced this topic to our Fright Club live audience in December. Mm-hmm. And they were, you, we could see their faces. They loved it. Yeah, people were excited about it. It was almost like, wow, I wish you were talking about that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and not the topic that we had for them that night. But uh, So if we're going to talk about movies where nobody dies, obviously there's going to be spoilers. Let's just sound the big alarm right now, and let's just pause for whatever sound effect I'm going to dig out. (laughs) Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about movies where nobody dies, so we're going to give that very important part of the plot away, but hopefully you're going to hang with us. And we've got a good list. We've got two lists of five. Corey has five. We have five. And there's only one overlap. Which is good. So we're talking about nine good movies. And we'll just go back back and forth, five, five, four, four, and all that until we get the number one. So does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Well, how did you come up with this? First of all, we wish we would have thought of it. And maybe <laughs> later we'll we'll claim credit. But for right now, <laughs> the credit goes to you. So what made you think of this? It's a good, t- it's a good topic. Honestly, I thought that you guys would have covered this before. We should have. Uh, talk- yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who doesn't like horror films. I was... It's hard to come across film fans who don't like horror films because, you know, usually people who enjoy films kind of understand the formula, the structure, and don't get freaked out by horror films. So I asked him, I said, what is it about horror films that you don't like? And he said, well, you know, it's usually the blood, the gore, the killing. And off the top of my head, I threw out five films that didn't have any death in it. you know, and a couple of them turned out they did have death in it here and there, but, you know, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I went to your back catalog. I was scrolling through the podcast and I oh, thought. So we can take credit. There, All right. You've given me, <laughs> you've, you've opened the window. We thought of it. Thank you. <laughs> so I thought that you guys would have done it and I thought you would have a list. When you didn't, I got straight on the DMs and said, guys, we got to get on this. Well, it sounds like your brain works a lot like hopes. It's just boom. You think of a top five list, boom. Sitting in a, rest- sitting in a restaurant, grab a napkin, boom, there's five. 
So, uh, well, that's good because it is. It's a fantastic topic and it calls for some fantastic films. So, all right. So we each have five. So why don't we just dive right in and uh, give us your number five on Nobody Dies. Okay. My number five is from 2001. It's The Others. Good one. Such a great movie. I love this movie. And Nicole Kidman is so amazing. In she it. is. It reminds me a lot of, when I first saw it, it reminds me of The Innocence, which I love. Um, and it's just got that spooky, you don't know what's going on. And of course, the twist is great. And I'm glad that this came up really at the top because um, as you and I went back and forth, Corey, some people are dead on this list. They just don't die during the course of the film. Right. Exactly. And that, that's totally fine. We consulted the judges, which are us. <laughs> And we said, that's totally fine. That works for this this topic just fine. I like this movie a lot, too. The twist is great. And the whole mood, the whole look, it's so gothic. It's so foggy. It's so, you know, big, spooky mansion. The entire tone of it and mood of it leading up to that great twist is is fantastic. And I, I agree with you. It reminds me a lot of The Innocence. There's a lot of great, like, tone-filling elements to this. Uh, including, you know, keeping all the blinds drawn, keeping all the doors locked mm-hmm. uh, because the children have this photo sensitivity thing going. And it's it adds to the ambiance, not to mention that the whole thing's set in this mist-covered old mansion exactly. in the middle of, I think it's the Welsh Moors or something like that. And it just, oh, man, it's just creepy throughout. So you've only, a lot of the time, you're just watching scenes under candlelight Mm -hmm. so they can pull these little tropes of are there people in the corner are there people running across the room who's opening the doors all that sort of stuff and it just creates such a an interesting spooky mood and it's got Fanola Flanagan. Right. She's one of those faces where you think, oh, that lady. And I've seen her in a million stuff, and she's great. Yeah, she is. She is really great. And I love the kids, both of them. I mean, I think they're <laughs> they're so funny, the way they're always making fun of each other. You cowdy custard. I mean, I love those kids. <laughs> that's cowdy, right. cowdy custard. Name calling. All right, that's a good one. That is Corey's number five. So our number five, we're going to go to 2012, and it's a normal Friday night at a fast food restaurant becoming interrupted by a police officer claiming an employee stole from a customer but something more sinister is going on compliance this is officer daniels with the police department i have a woman here saying one of your employees took money out of her purse you have a young lady works at the register about 19 years old blonde becky come with me He's saying he will have to take you to jail. Or what we could do is have you strip search her right now. I could strip search you here. No. No. We showed this a few years ago at Fright Club Live, and it's one of the instances where... Did she leave early or she waited until it was over to tell us how mad she was at us? She left early and I had gone um, out probably to get a, a refill on my beverage. And uh, but I passed her, you know, coming back in and she said, I am so mad at you for showing this movie. <laughs> so, you know, another satisfied customer. But well, the, the main thing about this movie is how people's first reaction, if they see it and they really don't know about the backstory, their first reaction. And we heard this reaction. From people who think it's unbelievable because nobody would act like that. Nobody would fall for that. And all you have to do, look it up. This movie is all, it's damn near verbatim about what happened. It, and that just creeps you to your core. That's what makes it a horror movie. That this actually did happen, almost down to the letter. Right. And it's, um, so Craig Zobel is the writer-director, Teen Girl Squad 
Because if you've not, if you don't know Teen Girl Squad, look it up. Anyway, it's not just that he's he's so careful about being, I think, authentic, about, about not being lurid, but also the performances are crazy. And Dowd, I, who plays the, the restaurant manager, Sandra, I think she could have gotten nominated for an Oscar for that. She was just yeah. spot on perfect. And of course, on the phone, creepy Pat Healy, who's always great in these kind of movies. And you actually see him for just a few seconds. Right. You do see his face. But and, and Dreama Walker, who has a very challenging part as the girl who gets accused. And uh, yeah, the whole thing is horrifying, even more so when you think about and realize how real life it is. I watched this one on your recommendation as well, because you've talked about it on the podcast before. So I trust you guys when you say watch <laughs> something and you ride, you watch it and you find out the whole backstory about it being so real and it's not ha- it's not happened only once. It's happened a few times. Across. Oh, many times, many times. Yeah. yeah, when these people call up, and it's such an interesting exercise in human behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, you you see these old tests about where you know there's two people in separate rooms, and the other one's got to shock the other yeah, one. Yeah, the Milgram, and- the Milgram experiment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you in know, fact, it escalates to the point where they have a heart attack. Right. Do you keep going because well, a doctor is telling you to do it? And actually, the at the, um, the movie. This movie starts with a reference to that experiment. So, yeah, it's very, it's very, right. very much applicable. Yeah. So when people, you know, they have no proof that they're talking to a police officer. Right. But right. this thing just keeps going up and ratchets up and up and up. And then her boyfriend comes in and mm-hmm. we start getting into things like rape. And yeah. you're like, well, how did we get to this? Yeah. You know? And it's, These it's people have no proof. And it's even more terrifying when you realize that the man that they put on trial for it was acquitted. And and but after that, the the, the uh, attacks, the calls stopped. I mean, so so much evidence pointed to him, uh, but he was he was acquitted. So no one really had to. Well, actually, the boyfriend did spend t- the, the boyfriend was convicted. And yeah, I, I think the problem with the, the caller uh, is that he didn't necessarily, as according to the law, do anything against the law. He convinced people to do bad things. But all he did was make a phone call. And I think that's how he got out of it, which is I terrifying. Know. I think from what I've read, he they he, he they couldn't prove he was the one making the calls, I think. But I'd have to. There's a lot. If you want to go look it up, there's a lot of stuff you can find about it if you can stomach it. But uh, the point is, it's well, a- you know, Hunter, Hannibal Lecter had his cellmate swallow his own tongue. Uh, <laughs> very. That's. I think that's still pretty evil. <laughs> yes. Very. Very good point. Very good point. So that is our number five on Nobody Dies Horror Compliance from 2012. So what do you got for number four? All right, I have to go with Poltergeist. Yeah. Poltergeist has such an interesting history, too, when you look deeper into it. The Spielberg connection with Toby Hooper and who actually made this. You know, I still come down on this is still very much a Toby Hooper movie with a lot of Spielberg yeah. influence. In fact, you'll, <laughs> I, I think you'll find more than a few people that basically say Spielberg directed it. Yeah, but I mean... Somehow I don't think Spielberg's going to put the corpses in a movie <laughs> the way Toby Hooper does in this. <laughs> you know, it's a completely spooky movie, uh, a, an interesting take on a haunted house movie. Uh, it doesn't have the good, the great kind of twist that the others has on the haunted house genre, but this one has a lot more supernatural elements. You know, the... Uh, the portals into the other realms and all sort of th- all that sort of stuff. I really enjoy the visual tone of this movie and how they treat 
the haunted house ghost story. It's just infinitely fascinating. Yeah, I am. Um, I've always thought for to me, uh, Poltergeist is what Toby Hooper did with E.T. I think it's Toby Hooper's version of E.T. because you've got this sort of <laughs> suburban family bland enough and something otherworldly happens on their block. And in a lot of ways, there are certain scenes that are filmed really like they're on a cul-de-sac. They're filmed really similarly between the two movies. But we were talking about this not that long ago. And the, the, the funny thing to me about this movie, of course, when I saw it the first time, I was very young and I was terrified by it. And I, you know, probably saw it through the eyes of, of Robbie or, or Carol Ann, right, as a little kid. When I saw it as an adult, it broke my heart because, first of all, Joe Beth Williams is amazing in this movie. And if you think about it from from that perspective of of you can hear your baby, but you can't get to her to save her. That's it's a, it's a really it's a very effective movie. And of course, Eddie Murphy would make fun of this years later in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> delirious concert if uh if you've seen that. Well, that's the thing. Um, it has it has been able to remain a, a real heavy piece of pop culture. Not only the, this house is clean, mm. but Carol Ann in front of the TV. Just that image. I mean, it remains very strong in pop culture. And, of course, the clown. Oh, clowns. <laughs> I hate and love a good creepy clown. <laughs> but so that, the that... Tangina character is, she is one of the most iconic things, I think, about this movie. Oh, I yeah, mean, she's that great. Pro- it's just nobody else could do that, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's a good one. That's uh, that's number four on Corey's list. And moving up to number four on our list, we'll go to 2015. Suspecting that people around him are turning into evil creatures, a troubled man questions whether to protect his only friend from an impending war or from himself. It's they look like people. You are a mountain. You are a hundred miles high. All that your enemies place in your way Betrayal, lies, poison, you devour and become stronger. You are invincible. Those that try to hurt you will turn silent and will bow down. But what can people do? To hurt a mountain. This is from writer-director Perry Blackshear, and um, actually he has a new one, The Siren, which I haven't seen yet. It's a 2019 movie, so maybe it hasn't actually hit Columbus yet, but I'm looking forward to it because I was so impressed by what he did with this movie. Because he starts off, he kind of introduces you with two different characters in kind of a shorthand so that he's kind of playing on your preconceived notions. The main character has got headphones on uh, and he's listening to like a motivational speaker kind of saying, you know, "You, you got this. And he's, you know, he's lifting weights and he's figuring out how to flirt with his new boss in the office and he's just got it all put together. And then then they cut to this other guy in kind of ragged clothes. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of slumped over shoulder and uh, he looks like maybe he slept in his clothes and you sort of get a sense right away of who these two people are. And he's going to upend that idea, first of all, completely by the end of the movie. But then the other thing that, that I think this movie does better than any other movie I've seen is develop a really beautiful friendship bond where you just dig deep into who these two people are to each other. And, and because you grow to be so fond of both of them and you, you truly believe this bond that they have with each other, the last act is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Agreed. I remember, I think you saw this before I did and you were really high on it. So I watched it uh, then later and really enjoyed it. And yes, really loved the last act. I was 
I was tense mm-hmm. as to what was going to happen. Uh, was he going to follow through? And uh, I, I really enjoyed it too. So this is a, uh, a good pick. In all honesty, I only watched this for the first time this week. I had never seen this one before. So that's a good thing about these <laughs> lists that you guys put together. It's always nice to find something new. And yeah, I, I love a good introspective movie, right? Like this is just a, a deep dive into either mental illness or otherwise. I uh, you're not too sure what you can and cannot believe, you know, unreliable narrator and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you're right. That ending with, uh, oh my God, yeah. in the basement there. And you're just like, what is going to happen? <laughs> they just let it, let it stretch. Don't they just let it go. Keep you right on the edge of your seat the whole time. I don't need my whole seat. I only need the edge. Of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm gonna guess of all the the movies on both of our lists, any regular listeners to Fright Club, this might be the one that has slipped through the cracks. This is not a, as well known of a movie. So no, it isn't. We did show it though. We showed it uh, at Fright Club last year, and uh, and people really loved it. Yeah, they did. And and it is. I think it, it is because the the ending is so so very tense, but also because it's impossible not to love these two characters. And I think especially Evan DeMichel, who plays Christian, who's the guy that at first you just think is a douchebag. And by the end of the third act, you love him so much. He's such a good person. And I think a lot of times when we show things, they don't leave you feeling good. <laughs> so I think that was a nice change of pace for people. But in in a different way, we, we talked about the, the, the uh, we talked about compliance, making you wonder, well, what would I do? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that falls into the in a d- totally different context, but you still he has a choice to make, and you find yourself thinking about the kind of choice that you might make with the same, and that that's one of the things that adds to the tension in the basement. Yeah, and the other thing I think that this does really, and you brought this up, Corey, does really well is walk that line between is it um, mental illness or is it something supernatural? And and I have found that when that's done well, I'm a complete sucker for it. Like Take Shelter, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Shannon's Take Shelter. God, that is a great movie. I love it so much. And then also, also Frailty, which we showed too. That's that's what, what this movie reminds me of because you remember when in Frailty where he says, you know, they you're not a demon, are you? Because they look like people. So yeah, it reminds me of that too, but... Really effective, and that is our number four on Nobody Dies Horror. So we're going to go to number three, but we're going to skip Corey's, right? Because your number three is our number one, actually. So we both like it. We like it a little bit more. So why don't we just go right on over to our number three? And this is this might be the most one of the most well known on the uh, list here. It's paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren working to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse, The Conjuring. There's something horrible happening in my house. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. This thing has latched itself to your family. Obviously, this was the first of the Conjuring franchise, and boy, it's a good one. And we're just finding out now in the last few weeks, I've seen there's a new Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, which I don't love that title. Hopefully, the movie will be better, but uh, apparently it's another one based on the, the files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, so that's coming soon. But The Conjuring, it's it's one we've, yes, we've talked about it a lot. We always go back, one of the main points we go back to is the use of practical effects. How well James Wan, the director, not only uses the practical effects, but uses the camera to make it really scary. 
Yeah, um, I've mentioned this before, and I went to see this uh, in theaters with my sister, my older sister, who has it. The only time you ever hear about my older sister, Julianne, are stories where she beats me up. And this was one. She she was squeezing my arm so tight during the scene with the uh, the big closet, the bureau, and then, you know, the quick look up. And, oh, and my sister, uh, she left massive bruises on my arm because of that. But it's such a great scene. And that's one of the reasons is James Wan really understands where CGI isn't going to cut it. And and we're showing us the actual flesh and blood ghost, so to speak, is uh, so much scarier. I love that James Wan has brought back this flavor of horror movie, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a real throwback to Amityville horror or Rosemary's Baby, you know, that kind of tone to a film. And yes, they've cashed in on this franchise. <laughs> it has gone along. There are some not so good installments in the sequels and or spinoffs. But I'm just glad that they exist because, again, it is kind of that mood, um, haunted house kind of story that works for me. You know, again, the suspense, being able to push a film to good suspense is a difficult thing. And James Wan really came up through this style and made it his own. Yeah, agreed. And he's also a director, especially in this movie, that is able to do an effective jump scare, mm. which can be, to me, so lazily done and just leaned on much too much too heavily in movies. But they can be done. They can be done effectively. And here is a movie that has effective jump scares in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one with Bathsheba on the, uh, on the dresser. <laughs> but then also just, I mean, I think it's one of those movies where uh, even though it maybe isn't one that's going to haunt your dreams, you're going to keep your feet covered when you get in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Very effective, yes. The Conjuring, that is our number three. So we'll move it on up to number two, I guess. We're already on number two for Corey's list. What you got? Okay, my number two, again, I've got on a technicality. And this is a big spoiler alert. So I'm just going to throw that out there again. But my number two is April Fool's Day. The original, not the remake, because that remake is just terrible. Don't watch it. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> but April Fool's Day, I mean, you guys know, I love my slasher films. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if I can get a slasher film in here, I'm going to do it. And April Fool's Day has, it has kills in it, which, you know, sounds weird because we're talking about movies with no death. But it's the slasher film that's very self-aware of the technique of displaying a kill on screen in that PG kind of way, you know, let's rush at the victim and imply that they have been stabbed or attacked or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and then the big twist at the end being that nobody actually died. This is some sort of theme weekend trial run for a uh, rather nice island mansion. But just I think everybody in it is having so much fun and that really resonates off the screen uh, with you know everything that's going on. You know, I, what, one of the things I think is the most impressive about this movie. So it came out in 1986. So it's not like we were that deep into the sort of slasher genre to really already have something that's so self-aware, that's so reflective, you know. And it's such an 80s movie, not just because it's a it's kind of a parody, not really a parody, but it's a it's a meta slasher, but also because of it's got Deborah Foreman and Amy Steele, who I think together were in every 80s 
high school comedies or horror <laughs> film that came out in the entire decade. And it's just, it's so clever, but to me, it's just so fascinating in how it's an 80s movie that is so already aware of what it means to be an 80s movie. <laughs> well, and of course, the use of a camcorder in the movie, too. I remember the first time I watched it and they're doing these, you know, talking head style things as, a, as the guy with the camcorder is interviewing his friends. And you get that grainy VHS style footage of people, you know, awkwardly trying to talk to a camera. Um, I, you know, I love that. It's it's 1986 and people are doing that. You know, this is well before any kind of found footage, Blair Witch, uh, Scream, all that sort of stuff. Well, that's that's uh, they're uh, actually introducing media that way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can see a forerunner to Scream in here. The whole you talked mm-hmm. about the meta vibe and the talking into a camera and things like that. I, I, I'm still going to, you know, I, I like Scream better, but I definitely think that this is sort of going down that road. Oh, it absolutely is. And like you were saying, Hope, of course, Amy Steele's in this. She was in Friday the 13th, too. She was the final girl in that. Yes. So that's a little bit of provenance here. Thomas F. Wilson, who, he was in Back to the Future the exact same year as Biff. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, the big reveal. I think the actual MVP of the movie is Deborah Foreman. Oh, sure. Slash Buffy, Buffy exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I watched this again this week because this was the one. It had been a while since I watched it. I was like, oh, I'm, I'll put it on in the background while I'm doing something just so I can sort of refresh myself. Ended up just sitting down watching the whole thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to yeah, give you credit because it. to be able to get a slasher on a no-kill movie yeah. list, that's, that's impressive because by just definition, you shouldn't be able to. So good for you. <laughs> Well done. So I, I should probably apologize to my friend who I recommended. Watch <laughs> oh yeah, nobody dies in it, mate. Just yeah, watch it. So that's uh, Corey's number two from 1986, April Fool's Day. Moving up to our number two, and this is a classic, all the way back to 1932. A circus's beautiful trapeze artist agrees to marry the leader of sideshow performers, but his deformed friends discover she is only marrying him for his inheritance. Freaks. We didn't lie to you, folks. We told you we had living, breathing monstrosities. Look them laugh. They're swine. They can't hurt me. But they hurt me. They're going to make you one of them. My <laughs> Their code is a law unto themselves. Offend one, and you offend them all. So even though nobody dies in this, the true terror, I guess, comes in the twist at the end about what what happens. The, the, the payback, let's put it that way, the payback for this scheme. But before that, it's the whole look into the sideshow performers' lives and talk about popular culture this has the one of us one of us that has been repeated so so many times i bet it it keeps being used in current media that there's probably so many people that don't realize what it means if you haven't seen this movie but that's such such a classic moment and we've we've talked about it here on the podcast about what it meant culturally what it meant for todd browning and the trouble he got into with what he did was he exploiting these performers was he not did they change their story afterward and all that stuff but you take it back to just the core of looking at it as a as a horror movie. 
it's perfect for this countdown. Just absolutely perfect because somebody dying is not the point. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons, you know, it shocked a lot of people when it came out, obviously. And as you said, I mean, it basically ended Todd Browning's career, which is hard to believe since he had just come off Dracula. And you figure he could probably do anything he wanted to. And kind of like Bruce Willis and Hudson Hawk, he, <laughs> <laughs> he made maybe the wrong choice for his own career. <laughs> Somewhere, Bruce Willis just went, did somebody just mention Hudson Hawk? <laughs> <laughs> we were just, it's funny she did that because we were just talking about that today and I said that I I was there the oh it's because Danny Aiello died. Right. That's why Danny Aiello just passed away and and you mentioned what did you bring up? You brought up uh uh Jacob's ladder and I said uh, Hudson Hawk, you know, I was joking uh because I was there. I'm such a diehard fanatic that I was there first week to see that movie and of course, you know, it was it was awful. It was just awful. So we, we're off on a tangent. Yeah, we are. But I, I would just like to, I had to admit to George today after 400 million years together, I've never seen Hudson Hawk. And I don't intend to. That's going to change tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are giving it a bad rap. I actually like Hudson Hawk. Do you really? God bless you. <laughs> but R.I.P. Danny Aiello. That's what we're trying to say with this entire conversation. All right. How did we get off? How did, Where did we go wrong on this conversation. I was talking about Todd Browning. Okay, go ahead. And a, and a bad career decision, but a good one in the long run. I mean, it may, may not have worked out that well for him, but I think for us, and one of the reasons I think that this movie is um, has the staying power that it does, kind of like the uh, how the concept of the island of misfit toys is, for a lot of people, the sort of Rudolph reference that they make the most. This idea of one of us, one of us. I mean, I think there are a lot of people, horror fans in particular, we embrace that outsider culture and the idea that you know, if you don't want to be like, we think there's something wrong with you if you don't want to be here with us with what we're doing. I think that that's the like the legacy of this movie and why so many years, like so many decades later, it still feels relevant and people are still interested in it. I don't think it's just that lurid. I shouldn't be watching this uh, appeal, which I think is probably what it had in the early couple of decades. Uh, I, I think it, it is that we embrace this outsider um, nature. Well, and definitely the uh, the exploitation of people who may not understand, uh, you know, what's happening in a way. It's sort of drawing a line about it, right? And you need to figure out which side they're landing on as it goes along. And, and not just the, the, the handful of performers who really wouldn't have been able to consent necessarily to doing it, but but for all of the people who who perform as as the freaks in the freak show, I think there is still a very unseemly kind of what exactly is Todd Browning? Because, of course, he he you know, this isn't his first sideshow film, actually. And he spent time in circus. But and I think that was how he felt like, well, these you know, they're my people. I'm you know, but other people are like, mm, but you're. Yeah, I mean, there is there's definitely a level of exploitation in this movie. I, I think it's it's impossible not to look at it that way. But I also think that there is something about it that. Again, the fact that they're not vilified and they're really not one dimensional characters either on the whole. I think I, I mean, I think that there is debate what I'm saying. I don't think it's it's one sided. I think that you can go either way on that debate. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, they do hit you with an oh shit kind of ending as well. don't they? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Oh. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And it's a classic for many reasons. Freaks from 1932. Number two on our list of Nobody Dies Horror, and that takes us up to the top, top of Corey's Mountain. Where What sits there? Okay, my number one is One Hour Photo. I mean, the main thing about this movie 
is Robin Williams' performance in it. Mm-hmm. He is just amazing in this movie. It is such a an interesting exercise in stalker culture, yeah. right? Uh, to actually tell a movie from the perspective of a stalker and then also try to make you feel sympathy for him as well. Uh, man, I mean, that's a job and a half. And again, it, it's it's almost like drawing a line and weaving back and forth around it as the movie goes along. How do you feel about the main character of Cy Parrish, played by Robin Williams, and his you know, infiltration on this poor innocent family's life, yeah. you know, how his actions are going to impact them. Um, just an amazing performance. Yeah, after several years of strictly comedy performances, Robin Williams started to drift into these dramatic roles that people didn't expect of him, which is to be expected for someone who gets that big. They want to challenge themselves, and he had the clout then to be able to do it, and then to have this really, not just a dramatic part, but a really creepy part that you're right, is somehow, it, it showcases his talent as, as an actor because he is able to bring a sympathetic layer to this really creepy guy who is totally invading these this family's life. Yeah, he, you know, he did, as he said. I mean, he made a couple of, of not just dramatic roles. He, he played a, a villain. He played a, a psycho, you know, and a couple of roles back to back, which I thought was interesting before uh, someone's like Tom Hanks doing it. I mean, for somebody so beloved and, and likable, and I think that this is one of our photos probably for me where he did it the very best because you forget that it is Robin Williams. You know, it's not just that the performance is strong, but also physically he, he yeah. re, you yeah. know, and, and I don't think a lot of times Robin Williams would do that. He didn't seem to transform physically from role to role, but he doesn't look anything like himself here. He seems very small and, uh, you know, he went little, totally blonde. Right. That just the whole, you're right. Yeah. He only has power when he's basically alone, you know, every time. And it's so funny. Gary Cole, of course, plays his boss. So anytime Gary Cole plays a boss in something, you have to, you have to laugh. <laughs> so it's, it's, again, it's playing against type. But there are some logical faults, I think, to this movie. Like, who is taking these pictures? But other than that, I was really, and I think it was because of Rob Williams' performance, I was really just completely grabbed from the beginning, and I couldn't stop watching this movie. I just thought it was fascinating. Soft but sinister is how I go with this. Mm, very nice. And it's not until towards the end of the movie where we actually have a scene where he confronts uh, the the husband character, Will Yorkin, where you really get his massive intensity. You know, he, say, he says, like, you're going to do what I want you to do. I'm going to give you instruction. And they're there and they're naked. And he puts a towel around him. And he looks at him, he says, did I tell you to put a goddamn towel around you? Like, it's moments like that, just, oh, man, you know, it's the meat of the movie. And Robin Williams is just, he kills it. He absolutely nails it. It's similar in that way to compliance. It's about someone's power over somebody else and how helpless that makes you feel as a viewer. And you're just so tense about it, whether or not someone, in this case, like compliance, nobody does die, but you're so terrified in a different way, not because someone's getting slashed or anything like that, but because of this situation 
that you can't control because you're just a viewer, and they can't control because they're someone they're helpless to someone else's intentions. And well, and I have to say too, it does get a little bit dated because I think pretty much it is around this time where digital photography really took off <laughs> and film went on the way out. So people really don't need to go to a mini photo lab anymore. Right, right. They, they still exist. You can take your digital photos there to get them professionally printed. But, you know, the art of developing film and, and producing photos from them, just it disappeared almost immediately after this film. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know. And still I think that's though. maybe why it kind of just sort of was ushered off into the, the ether and maybe not a lot of people ended up seeing it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, regardless, it's just, it's an amazing story. Yeah. And especially for people who remember fondly Robin Williams and who haven't seen this, just for that, just for to see his performance alone uh, is definitely worth it. And that's Corey's number one, one hour photo from 2002. Moving up to our number one, and this is on Corey's list as well, the one we skipped. Going back to Corey's number three, our number one from 2014, a single mother and her child fall into a deep well of paranoia when an eerie children's book titled Mr. Babadook manifests in their home, The Babadook. You can't get rid of the Babadook. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. I feel like, um, Corey, you have to pronounce the title because that's how they say it in the movie, and we always say it wrong. Hey, say it. The Babadook. Okay. Because when, when they always say it, they always say the Babadook. The Babadook. Like the Babadook. <laughs> Especially the kid. You put the, put the Aussie twang on it, right? That's right. The Babadook. Babadook. Duck, duck. We love this one so much. And I was, I was disappointed to find uh, when I was doing prep for this podcast, I was going to bring up again because Hope still hasn't seen it. The original... Short film from 2005 that Jennifer Kenton did first called Monster uh, for a while, years ago. It was on YouTube. That's how I saw it. I just looked it up on YouTube. And I always bring it up because the I think if you see that, it's much more clear about the message of the end. I thought so. So I was going to point to it. So I don't know where you can find it now. I really don't if you're, if you're able to find it. It used to be on YouTube. They took it off. Maybe it'll back on there but it's worth seeing too it doesn't have the same se davis is not the star because obviously it was what nine nine years apart but uh it's really effective and you can see why someone would watch that and go oh man this would make a good feature film it's really effective but just a bit more clear on the message well se davis is is just spectacular in this movie. And the thing, too, is I think sometimes it's easy to overlook how great Noah Wiseman is as Samuel is her, her son, uh, because, you know, I defy you to to the first time you watch this movie inside of 10 minutes, you're either saying out loud or thinking to yourself, I would kill this kid. And that's exactly <laughs> what you're supposed exactly. to think. Exactly. Right. It, this is one of those cases where when somebody would complain about that, this happens a lot in movies when someone will complain about a certain thing and so often our response is, yeah, 
Think about that for a second. Do you think that's on purpose? You're supposed to feel that way about this kid. Exactly right. And that feeds into what she's getting at at the very end, what the mom has decided to live with. Right. And one of the things that I think is so just stunning about this movie is that, honestly, it swims waters. They they don't. Horror films do not. It's about uh, it's about maternal grief. You know, you're usually moms in horror films are either 100 percent good and probably doomed or, you know, the evil mother like the baby. Right. Which is on Shudder right now, by the way. Such a fucked up movie that is. Anyway, I had forgotten about it. I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, I'm another tangent. Um, And so it was interesting for the mother and for basically for motherhood to be such a central and sympathetically told and scary theme in this film. Well, it really is uh, a new play on an old trope, right? There's so many horror films where the the child or the underage person is saying to their parents, hey, this is going on. And the parents, you know, are always like, oh, stop it. Or, you know, whatever. You just need some sleep or whatever it is. Authority figure is not going to do anything. Uh, and that just massive trope. So let's take that and instead say, She's not going to believe him because this kid's a little fucking shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it works. It really does. And, of course, we talked about this the first time I was on because we talked about Australian horror, of course. Yeah. And uh, I think this was number one there as well, if I remember rightly. Probably Um, because we love it. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, yeah, we have to mention Daniel Henshaw because, man. That's (laughs) right. That guy has done so He's done so well since this movie came out, which I can't believe is five years ago. Five years since the Bubba Duck came out. Yeah, and if we're talking about this and Jennifer Camp, you got to give a, we got to give a quick plug to uh, the Nightingale. Nightingale, which is brutal and difficult, but such a great movie. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean the Bubba Duck—it's come so far. He's a gay icon too. That's what's great that. about it. I, I love that he became such a gay icon. Which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> didn't it start because it was incorrectly labeled on like IMDb Netflix I Netflix think. okay Netflix. it was yeah. incorrectly labeled as like a, a, a yeah uh, <laughs> it started seeing the Babadook everywhere with the rainbow it was fantastic it really is fantastic but uh, I have to say watching this movie all, all, all these years later I still get freaked out of that moment across the way in the neighbor's house every time oh yeah absolutely that is Oh, my God. Oh, it creeps me out just thinking about it. It's a great one. That's why it's our number one and number three on Corey's list for Nobody Dies Horror. Sorry for all the spoilers. And, Corey, I know you got a lot going on, so refresh our memories. Where can we find you on social and all your your projects? Well, of course, you can find me on the Raywatch podcast. We put out episodes most weeks. We're either talking about a TV show or movies. We're getting into James Bond right around now so tune in if you're a big james bond fan that'll be 26 episodes (laughs) we put out on james bond by the time we get to the new one out in april which is what's that called that is called no time to die no time to die exactly (laughs) another generic die title for a james (laughs) bond movie but and of course talking about sequest man i love that show it's 
<laughs> sometimes <laughs> pretty bad, but sometimes pretty good. So yeah, if, if you're a fan of rewatching, you know, older TV and movies, come and join us over there. Uh, otherwise, find me on Twitter, Facebook, just search Corey Metcalf. You'll find me. All right. Well, we talked about it earlier. We talked about it in the intro. We've got another premiere, Fright Club premiere, coming up on April 8th. Big thank you to the Owens Group in Sicily for hooking us up with an early screening of Antlers. So that's April, the March Fright Club Live on Wednesday, March 11th. We're going to show our classic. We show a classic every year, and this year is going to be Eyes Without a Face. Yeah. I can't wait to see it on a big... I've never seen it on a big screen. I'm so excited. Oh, I either. Gorgeous French black and white film, and we're going to talk about Bad Doctors. Now, that's not to be confused with Mad doctors. Right. So these are doctors who are probably really, really smart, but you wouldn't want them to be your <laughs> doctor. Yeah, I love the fact that once a year we do a classic, and, and I think we get a lot of good response to it, too. I, yeah, I, I, do too. I really do. I've, I've already seen some, some people very excited about coming to see it, because probably there are not too many people out there that have seen it already on the big screen. Yeah. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. That Again, that is March 11th, Eyes Without a Face. You can get all that info, all the updates, uh, anytime. You can find us on our Facebook page, which is Mad Wolf Columbus. Same for Instagram, Mad Wolf Columbus on Instagram. And it's easy to keep this horror movie talk going on Twitter. You can find us at Fright Club Pod. Many ways to get in touch. And we hope you will. So thanks again to Corey. Appreciate that. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Corey, you know what to do. Stay frightful, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>